Radio Maria England presents Padre's Hour, presented by Father Sam Randall. Welcome again to Padre's Hour. I'm Father Sam Randall, Priest Director of Radio Maria England, and thank you for joining me. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Bishop John Sherrington from the Diocese of Westminster. Bishop John has responsibility for the pastoral care of the parishes and deaneries of North London. He's also moderator of the Curia. Within the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales, Bishop John was a member of the Department for Catholic Education and Formation and has been a member of the Department for Christian Responsibility and Citizenship and with particular responsibility for life issues since 2014. Co-chair of the British Catholic Methodist Committee, and he's now co-chair of the Methodist Roman Catholic International Commission. So clearly he's done a great job. He's got promoted. He's a member of the governing body of the Anscombe Centre, Oxford. Uh, we'll, we know that name from Cambridge, a very famous philosopher. And he's a trustee of the Hospital of St John and St Elizabeth. Welcome, Bishop John. Father Sam, I'm delighted to join you for Padre's interview this week and to be able to answer some of the questions and hopefully speak about the good work and the good news that the church proclaims in this country and particularly in the Diocese of Westminster. So Bishop, some of our listeners of course are not Catholic and indeed some are not Christian and they might not be familiar with some of the roles you have. You are the moderator of the Curia. What is the Curia and what does that your job entail? The word curia essentially is a, a central service. It's a service from the centre of the diocese to the parishes. So how can we begin to understand it? Well, if we think about the church, the church is the body of Christ. It's the mystical body of Christ, uh, an in the in which is present, but also has a visible structure in terms of parishes, buildings, employees, priests, etc., etc. So the curia has the job of uh, helping the parishes, helping all the agencies of the diocese to fulfill the mission of the church. So within the curia, you have a property office dealing with buildings. Uh, you have a HR department dealing with lay employees. Uh, you have uh, the chancery dealing with matters of marriages and the tribunal in terms of uh, annulments and permissions. And also you have an agency of evangelization in Westminster. So all of these have staff and the chief operating officer of the diocese oversees the heads of departments. And my responsibility on behalf of the Cardinal is to be that point of contact between the chief operating officer and the Cardinal and to ensure things are done as well as they can be done in terms of good use of resources. I suppose today's gospel is actually important because it's about making your peace with somebody where there is a fence before you come to celebrate together the mass, the Eucharist. And part of my role is handling complaints and then trying to at times reconcile people. So we live in a, a church that's incarnational so with all those things it's to help fulfill the mission of the church the proclamation of jesus christ uh that is a huge brief bishop <clears throat> really is um <clears throat> apart from doing that which sounds like that's more than a full-time job 
You also uh, work on the British Catholic Methodist Committee, and now you're doing it internationally. Could you share us share with us some of the highlights uh, with that? And I'd like to ask you where you think we are with some of our ec ecumenical discussions. Well, that's uh, many different aspects to that question. I think for me, one of the highlights of our last dialogue, and a dialogue uh, is a five-year period of study on a particular topic. For the last dialogue, which began in 2017, uh, the Catholic Methodist International Commission met in Rome, and we celebrated 50 years of dialogue between us. Pope Francis addressed us and also Bishop Abrahams of the Methodist Church, and that was a wonderful highlight. But then the members of the commission went down underneath St. Peter's and prayed together the Lord's Prayer at the tomb of Peter. That was profoundly moving because it was recognising what we hold in common in our belief, in spite of the fact there are many differences. And I know that all the members of the commission were deeply moved by that experience. And it gave us a greater impetus to our work. And I suppose our work has three dimensions, prayer and intellectual uh, reflection on theological questions, uh, and also that living of the faith together in the brief periods of time when we are together. And in that, there's also the pain of not being able to share together in the Eucharist. That's the lived reality for many people. So I think that the work done by the dialogues is very important and those documents can be referenced and studied. Maybe one of the disappointments is that over the years of the dialogue, those documents remain very hidden. Uh, they're not well received. And yet there's a lot in there to deepen our relationship together. And sometimes the dialogue between Catholics and Methodists is described as dialogue between grandparents and grandchildren. And that can perhaps be sometimes easier than between uh, parents and grandparents or children and parents. So we, it's important work. The Holy Father is passionate that we understand our differences so that we can then try to heal them, move beyond the past in order to witness together as Christians in an increasingly broken and fragile world. So I would argue that the bilateral discussions are important in the wider context, but there is a large job to do in order to help people to receive them, pray together and work together. I think um, there can be misunderstanding about one another's churches. I mean, my experience of Methodism is is fairly broad. There's there's there are strands to Methodism that are very Catholic. I know that Neville Ward's uh, writings on on the Rosary and John Wesley himself, the founder of Methodism, was fairly. I think we describe him now, Bishop. What do you think as Anglo-Catholic? Well, I would I would agree that I grew up with prejudices against uh, other churches. And part of the dialogue is opening up my mind to understand what Methodists truly believe. Mm. I've been very inspired by the thought of uh, John Wesley and, in fact, how he was trying to bring about reform of the Church of England, a tradition mm. of scriptural holiness, social holiness. And there's many parallels with what he said and we can find in the lives of the saints with 
regard to virtue, with regard to vice, social holiness, etc. Um, yeah. So I think that we can overcome misunderstandings and we all bear those within our traditions. So clarifying and uh, overcoming false memories is a really important part of this process. Meeting uh, real people and having uh, genuine, fruitful relationships always helps, I think, the ecumenical journey. Thank you, Bishop. You're listening to Radio Maria England, and this is Padre's Hour. I'm very pleased to be speaking with Bishop John Sherrington, who's from the Diocese of Westminster. And the bishop has shared with us some of his responsibilities as moderator of the Curia, as well as his work with the British Catholic Methodist Committee. Bishop John also has responsibility for the pastoral care of the parishes and deaneries of North London. And in January this year, Bishop John wrote describing the significant contribution that the parishes were making to their neighbours and communities and to their personal resilience and inner strength. In the in North London, where I'm the auxiliary bishop, I have a responsibility for five boroughs. They are Brent, Harrow, Barnet, Enfield and Haringey. So it's really the section of the diocese that's London beyond the North Circular. Right. And uh, obviously, many different economic social challenges across that area. Very diverse populations, great ethnic diversity, uh, and in the midst of that, different challenges. So that's really what I'm talking about in terms of North London. Right. I think then uh, the context of the letter was about arguing why churches should be kept open. And when the government at the lockdown in January said that churches could be open during this lockdown for prayer and for um, good works, for feeding the hungry, caring for the homeless, I had to write to a number of the local boroughs who were suggesting and arguing that the churches should be closed. Well, part of that lesson was to emphasise that being able to go to church is an essential part of people's lives for their well-being and that actually following all the guidance with COVID security, our churches were very safe places to be. Social distancing was in place, face coverings were in place, limited numbers. Uh, people go to church and know what to do. And that was therefore a good reason why we should stay open and offer that support. So in terms of some very practical facts about Westminster, we have a, an outreach called Caritas. And in fact, Caritas, since March 2020, began distributing supermarket vouchers through a number of hubs across the diocese. So 122 parishes and schools received vouchers to distribute, and that was £175,000 worth of food that was donated through vouchers to 1,900 households and 6,000 people. And that's an impressive uh, act of generosity on behalf of many people for the good of others. Uh, in the summer, uh, we, through school holidays, we offered holiday clubs, and that was 293 people. So across the diocese as a whole, there's 249 food projects run by parishes or schools 
and another 108 parishes or schools supporting food banks or similar projects. So we quickly realised in London with the first lockdown that there were many people on the street to be fed, that there were families who were really struggling because they had to feed their children at home. There were no free school meals uh, and the tensions in families, the tension, tension in diff different people's socioeconomic context uh, multiplied, a lot of hardship. And we've heard of terrible examples of an increase in domestic abuse and all the other social problems. So we tried to do our best and to uh, help feed people and then to give them skills in terms of uh, help for cooking, understanding that and be an advocate for those in need. Uh, that sounds so fantastic. Bishop, just thinking about our previous discussion on the Catholic Methodist relations, is a lot of this social justice work um, ecumenical? Some is ecumenical. There could be more that's ecumenical. Um, Sometimes, you know, some of this social justice work has been going on for many years and it's yeah. well rooted in the communities. I think within the diocese within Hertfordshire, where you have much stronger ecumenical relationships than in some parts of London, uh, many of these projects will be ecumenical and also increasingly interfaith as well. Well, that's wonderful. Um, could you describe the link you see between prayer and, and social action, social justice action? And uh, could you give to our listeners some examples of creative innovations that helping people access uh, the sacraments that, that some of the churches in, in your area have been? In? I think last year, a year ago, late February, we never imagined that we would be going into a national lockdown. Between the end of February and the lockdown, uh, Cheltenham races took place. There were some major football matches. And I don't think any of us understood the spread of the coronavirus and the devastation it would bring. So suddenly a lockdown occurred. People couldn't go to church. Priests wondered what to do and how they would celebrate the sacraments for people. And so quickly we saw various means of streaming the mass. Some, a few churches already had cameras installed, others used tablets, others used phones, but people, the priests really worked hard to be able to stream out the mass so that people could watch at home. And I think suddenly for many older people who perhaps hadn't been getting out to church very much, this was a new opportunity. And we have wonderful examples of where families gather around the screen and, and pray the mass as the priest celebrates it when they're unable to go to church. I think then also uh, when we were allowed to gather for prayer but not worship, then suddenly stewards, volunteers came forward, cleaners came forward, and many priests organised holy hours or prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. Again, this was very nourishing and enabled people to come and pray before Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament and bring their needs. And that was happening at a time when there was greater bereavement and people were more fragile at the end of the first lockdown and the opening up at that time. So prayer and action are integrally linked. We deepen our relationship with Christ to live in Christ 
in order to go out to be the body of Christ in the world. Thinking about those wonderful words of St. Augustine about gathering at Mass. Christ is gathered around the table, the altar, as the body of Christ. Christ is present in the body and blood of Christ on the altar, and the body receives the body of Christ in order to go out to be Christ in the world. So that profound link of prayer and action at the heart of the commandment of Jesus to love God and love our neighbour and the way that they're profoundly linked together. I want to shift now our conversation, Bishop, because you've got all sorts of responsibilities and all of what you've said is just inspiring onto a different subject. You, your work as the lead bishop for life issues. Could you explain to, to us, to our listeners, what are your responsibilities and duties in this capacity and what you see are the key issues that are of concern, not just to you, but to the wider Christian and perhaps faith communities? Thank you very much, Father Sam. Within the work of the Bishop's Conference, each bishop has a particular responsibility. And because I have a background in teaching and moral theology, Christian ethics, and working in seminaries with that background and contributing many years ago to the document Cherishing Life that the bishops produced, uh, when I was uh, ordained as a bishop, I was asked to take on the brief of human life. So the responsibility is I have a, a watch on those issues in public debate which are a, affect uh, the good of human life from the beginning of life at its conception through to natural death. Obviously I can't do that on my own, there are employees at the Bishop's Conference who help to maintain that brief, but essentially I become the spokesman first of all on a topic uh, in the media, in legislation, but then if it needs to be escalated, there'll also be interventions by the head of the department, Bishop Richard Moth, and on particular occasions by the Cardinal. So we try to plan how we respond to particular challenges to Catholic teaching uh, as it occurs within the country. So it's really a brief from the very beginning, uh, conception through to natural death and overall helping people understand this wonderful, profound gift of life that mm. has been entrusted to us by God. You called the move to allow at-home medical abortions shocking and you said the changes do not prioritise the well-being of women. Could you tell our listeners what an, an, an at-home abortion is? So obviously this is very controversial in terms of those who disagree with us as a church. But home abortion was introduced as uh, because of the fact that it was difficult to access doctors. And it meant that in the period up to 10 weeks gestation, women could obtain abortifacient pills via a telephone or video call with one doctor and take them without any supervision from a doctor or another medical professional. So this was the biggest change to abortion provision since 1967. 
because right. prior to that, two doctors were required to sign off on an abortion. Consultations took place in person and abortions, even at early stages, could only take place in hospitals or clinics approved by the Secretary of State. So suddenly we have telephone consultations, uh, women who perform the own abortion at home by taking the pills and then the passing of the unborn child at home without direct medical supervision. So we were very concerned about the physical and psychological dangers of the administration of these drugs at home and where it could lead. Are you able to, to tell us if, um, if this has affected uh, numbers of those seeking abortions or having abortions? At the moment, um, the statistics haven't been published, but the fact that the government is now wanting to make this a permanent move is probably the uh. most dangerous fact, because suddenly uh, there's a from a situation where abortion is permitted in certain circumstances, according to the judgment of two doctors and with very particular criteria, uh, suddenly this is becoming uh, almost not seen as a medical procedure in the same way. And mm -hmm. that's our concern with the change that's now going to be proposed. I think also, another, you th if I could just say one other concern is that uh, a pregnant woman might be coerced or forced into having an abortion against her will. And in fact, getting to the doctor and talking about the coercion or the force might have been an opportunity to help that woman remove herself, escape from an abusive situation. So now uh, we're also worried about the coercion and the force that could be put on a woman to have an abortion. Is it possible for our listeners who are concerned about this issue to, would you encourage them to write to their MP or what would the, what the right response for any who are wanting to take this up as an issue? It's important to write to your MP. If an MP receives a number of individual letters on a topic, they will take it seriously. Uh, they will respond better if these are personal written messages in terms of they're not all a standard format, although that can work as well in a, a mass flood of information. But no, what's important is to write a letter explaining why you oppose this. And if a number of people do it, then the, the MPs will take a notice of it. I think people are, are quite um, reluctant to, to, to do this. I've been involved with some Amnesty International campaigns and they give a sort of like a format for that. I mean, it, it's sort of helpful. Is it possible to look on a website or get something else as a sort of guidance of what you should include in your letter? I think it's really important to uh, respond, to write to MPs. And also when you ask me about the uh, fact of some pro formas, how can people be helped to do this? I think of the charity Right to Life. They have an excellent website. They're on top of all the legislation at this time. And at the present time, they're promoting a campaign to stop abortion up to birth for disabilities, including Down syndrome, cleft lip and club foot in the UK and in Northern Ireland. And it's particularly a hot issue at the moment in Northern Ireland. And this highlights for me from listening and hearing the voices of those who 
live with disability and having worked in a parish with adults with learning disabilities how wonderfully generous these adults are these persons are the gifts they bring and therefore meeting living with these people at different times our law is so bizarre that an abortion could take place up to birth on the grounds of disability and yet once a person is born then the law is for the person with disability uh, there's something we've got to link together there and that's why i think it's such an important issue groups like right to life other and other um, pro-life groups do you think that they are able to affect government policies governments respond to people so i think first of all it's really important to uh indicate and write about our views to MPs and the various charities and other works promoting human life keep the agenda alive. Perhaps the area where they were most effective a few years ago was when they helped the campaign against the introduction of assisted suicide, euphemistically called uh, assisted dying in this country. And it was actually the mobilization of many different life groups, uh, relationships with other groups who weren't Catholic uh, that helped that bill to be defeated. And one of our real concerns at the present time is the way in which we think that assisted suicide will be reintroduced to Parliament this year, and if not this year, next year. So right. that's something that we need to be alert about and to respond to our MPs and use the many good resources from the pro-life groups. Do you think one of the challenges are that these issues are so complex, it's difficult to have when the media simply want to have a, a sentence or something? It's, don't you think that's one of the issues? It's very difficult to, uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to put forward your views when other people disagree because they can take offence. Um, we're seeing this in debate about what happens in universities, in the whole way in which people are not allowed to speak. Yeah. So, in fact, we need to recultivate and refine that capacity for intelligent dialogue, uh, being able mm -hmm. to hear the different voices and then mm -hmm. to be able to uh, begin to help uh, reflect on them further. And I think crucially, it's the experience of people living with disability who can help that debate. Uh, it's also uh, the role of women who perhaps have had an abortion and come through a process of healing and there are groups to help women heal from abortion, who then speak very passionately about the decision they made and while they now see it was wrong. So we want to hear those voices and help them find a place in the dialogue. If you are listening to this debate and this anything we say touches your heart or your life and you would like to get in touch, um, we will be giving you that those details. You could email us at info at radiomirrorengland.uk. You can text message us at 07 um, 502-385-010. And if you wanted to get in touch with Bishop John, if that's all right, Bishop John, we, if someone's got something uh, important that they want to share, um, we could do that, couldn't we? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's, thank you, Bishop.
Um, I'm sure that you and I'd rather be talking about the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we're so pleased that you have given us your time and willing to share with our listeners some of the more challenging issues that Christians today need to respond to. The message of the Catholic Church on life is the continuation of the wonderful good news about Jesus Christ and yeah. the implications of the incarnation for us. So we might come back to that. So the bishops in 2018 made a statement which can be found on the Bishops Conference website, which is www.cbcew.org.uk. Thank you. And on that website, uh, we made a statement about the fact that uh, hum God creates human beings, male and female. Going back to the book of Genesis, God created man in the image of himself, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So the sexual difference and complementarity is within every person. And therefore, to understand male and female, man and woman, is really important in understanding God's creation. Now, we know that there are some people really struggling and who don't accept their biological sex. We know that there are people who are ill at ease and profoundly upset with their gender. But the pastoral way in which we help people with compassion and accompanying them is one dimension of a response, but the other is that we restate the principles at the heart of our teaching. And therefore, male and female created by God with equality so that we can flourish in human relationships, uh, in marriage and in family. That we have a body given to us by God. And it's trying many difficulties for some people in accepting their body but trying to help people to understand and accept their body given to them by God and the principles behind that, rather than a modern tendency and the desire that we simply define ourselves whoever we want to be, um, that we have this creation from God. But within that, we have to recognize that some people are deeply struggling uh, not accepting their biological sex, and we also want to accompany them with pastoral care. Bishop, I know that there are uh, groups and programmes that exist to support people who, who are struggling with uh, their gender identity. What resources exist for those who are struggling with these issues? Well, I would hope that uh, you could find, uh, first of all, a good spiritual director um, mm. who would be able to help you. In terms of groups within the Diocese of Westminster, we have a group that's there to support uh, LGBT people uh, and those who are struggling with these issues. And that's available. You can find details of that on our website or in our diocesan yearbook. And many other dioceses similarly will have uh, those who can accompany. And I suppose I use that word accompany because uh, Pope Francis, in his important encyclical on marriage and family, Amoris Laetitia, talked about accompanying people in their pastoral struggles. And therefore, many dioceses now have others who can help them in that. Wonderful.
you're the lead bishop for life issues and you wrote to the parliamentary undersecretary of state for public health and primary care in july 2019 and you urged the government to promote the future product we're talking about back vaccines now the future production of vaccines using materials from non-human cells or ethically sourced human cells now there's been a bit of controversy and anxiety about all of this hasn't there bishop well, um, there has, yes. Yeah. So, so I wonder if I know you, you, you poor bishop. You, you get all the all the interesting subjects, don't you? Um, could you say something to reassure people about some of these issues? Um, those are particularly who've got Im immune uh, deficiency or pregnant women and uh, un unborn children and those sorts of issues. Talk. Could you tell us something about um, the Catholic view on on vaccinations and their importance? Okay, I mean, first of all, I, I will talk about, yes, the Catholic teaching about the vaccination. Um, but I mean, I know at the moment I just heard on the news yesterday that women who are pregnant are, are not to have the vaccination. So I don't want to, I'm not talking, you know, that's another question really, and how they can be helped with their GP okay. to protect themselves yeah. from the virus. So, you know, the it's the responsibility of the NHS to tell people who can have a vaccination and who can't. Yeah. So talking about the uh, the teaching, yes, my yeah. statement was written back in July 2019 when uh, we were only at the beginning of the debate about creation of vaccines. So it is dated now. But what's important is that, first of all, we have a number of different vaccines that the church recognizes you may accept because of the severity of the crisis of COVID, which is life-threatening to you and to others. So the particular debate was really the difference between uh, the Pfizer vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine. I'm not a scientist. They're both created in very different ways. But the, the concern expressed by Catholics, rightly, was the AstraZeneca vaccine came about created from a sourced from a cell line that has its origin in cells taken from a human fetus in 1980 that had been aborted. And therefore they found it very difficult to accept that you could accept the vaccine when it had this source. Well, we clarified as bishops in this country, and our view is also endorsed by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, that there is a sufficient moral distance between the abortion in 1980, the creation of the cell line, and the way in which the vaccine has been developed today. So you can accept the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. The fight is was not problematic at source because it's a completely different sort of vaccine. I think now the question that the Holy Father and the Holy See are raising is the fact that vaccines must be available for all people, especially the poor in the world. In this country, we're looking at how those people who don't have a fixed abode access the vaccine and perhaps are not in contact with uh, the NHS. So we actually are finding ways to help those people who lack documents to receive the vaccine for the good of their life and the good of their health. But the, the Holy See recently has said that we must ensure that the vaccine is available for 
all people as a good to which everyone should have access without discrimination according to the principle of the universal destination of goods highlighted by Pope Francis, that the gifts of God are for all people. Yeah. And therefore, uh, in a sense, those companies making the vaccine should let go of some of their intellectual property rights in order that the vaccine could be delivered cheaply and effectively to the poorest in the world and particularly the poorest nations. So now we've got the vaccine in this country and that's in my view wonderful. The Holy Fathers had the vaccine, the Cardinals had the vaccine, many people have now received it. Now we have to think about the issues of justice and solidarity with the poorest of the world to ensure that they too have the vaccine. Thank you. Uh, Bishop, just before we, we uh, there's a, I want to ask you to pray with us and to, to find out your prayer intentions. But um, you said earlier about, we talked about the good news of Jesus Christ, and this is really what's at the heart of all of our faith and why we do what we do, isn't it, Bishop? How do you see that the wonderful, fantastically wonderful news of the good news of Jesus, um, how does this relate to some of these ethical things that uh, we've been talking about? We talked about vaccinations, pro-life issues, issues of gender identity. Mm. This issue well, Jesus reveals to us. Works the parish is doing. So if we think about Pentecost, um, well, going back to the resurrection, Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples over 40 days. And then at Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit to give them uh, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, to send them out to preach God's kingdom, to preach Jesus Christ to the world. Mm. The church then begins to reflect on what does it mean to be human? The church begins to understand the implications of the incarnation in terms of how we're created, to understand from the very beginning of life, from conception through to death, that life is sacred and over the centuries deepens its understanding. So therefore, I suppose it all links together because we have the growth of an understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the truth as revealed by him and through the Holy Spirit to us through the teaching of the church. So it all links together. And the more we can mm. understand that tradition, uh, that life of the church that we live and celebrate it, the better it will be. Wonderful. Thank you, Bishop, for such a good answer. Thank you for joining us, Bishop John, today. And of course, thank you for all the work you are doing for the mission of the church. Are you a parishioner in the Diocese of Westminster? Have you supported any Bishop John's appeals? You can let us know. You can email us at info at radiomariaengland.uk or text message us at 75023850010. 010. That's 075023850010. All uh, of this information's on our website. We'd love to read and to share your stories uh, with our listeners. Before we end, however, Bishop, before you go, would you please share with us any prayer intentions you would like us to pray for here at Radio Maria England for you and the all your responsibilities? Have you got things you'd like us to pray for? I think today we heard in the last couple of days that uh, those living with disability will be able to be vaccinated. I know a number of families where 
they have a child or an adult now with a learning disability and the struggle this year has been. So I want to particularly ask people to pray for those families at this time and for those persons living with disability for whom life is so challenging. And the prayer I want to pray that comes from Thursday of the day after Ash Wednesday is the collect, a prayer from the Mass, because it, it places all that we do into the hands of Jesus. Thank you, Bishop. Let us pray. Prompt our actions with your inspiration, we pray, O Lord, and further them with your constant help, that all we do may always begin from you, and by you be brought to completion through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God for ever and ever. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Our Lady Star of the Evangelization, pray for us. Pray for us. Thank you very much, Bishop John. Would you join me uh, for uh, Padre's Hour every week? It's broadcast on Mondays at 11am, on Tuesdays in the evening at 9pm, on Fridays in the early hours at 2am and Saturday at 5pm in the afternoon. Do get in contact with us at reinfo at Radio Maria England UK and thank you for listening and may God bless you. And please do join with me for Padre's Hour every week, which broadcasts on Mondays in the morning at 11am, Tuesdays in the evening at 9pm, Fridays in the very early hours at 2am and Saturday afternoon at 5pm. And do get in contact with me at info at radiobrewengland.uk. Thank you for listening and God bless.